begin our class here. All right, so as you can see, I'm not Ben Smith. Uh, ben is out of town this morning, and I'll be filling in for Ben. Uh, I'd have to admit, though, after our gospel meeting and after hearing Don preach this morning, I don't know if I feel up to uh, standing before you, uh, trying to fill the shoes of the guys who have recently uh, spoken here. But we'll do our best. So, um, several weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I lose track of time. Don was out of town, and I filled in on a Wednesday night, and we talked about the subject of sin. We talked about what is sin. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a quick review on that particular subject, and then we're going to get into some of the newer material. But as we were talking about before, we were asking the question, what is sin? And uh, how would you define sin? Transgression of the law. That's perfect. That's the textbook definition. Sin is the transgression of the law. So the transgression of what law? God's law. That's right. So just like if I get out of my car and I am driving over the speed limit, I have broken the government's law, broken the law. I've transgressed the law of the government, the law of the land. Same thing is true. If I break the law of God, I have sinned. I have transgressed the law of God. Which one of those is more serious? Okay, so obviously it's wrong to transgress the law of the land. We know that. It's wrong to, uh, to break the law of the land, to break the law of the government. But obviously it's more concerning to break the law of God. If I get out and I do something in my car that's illegal, I've broken the law of the land and that's wrong. But if I have sinned against God, if I have wronged God, then there's a much stiffer penalty. There's a much more significant consequence if we transgress the law of God. So I've, talk, I've talk, taught the same class in the high school class, and one of the things that we talk about is, why is this a big deal? Why is talking about sin a big deal? Or is it a big deal? Okay. Everybody does it. It's a big deal. So all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All. There aren't any exceptions in this room. We have all sinned. Okay? So why is it a big deal? We've all done it, but why is it a big deal? Yeah, it separates us from God. Sin is a big deal because it separates us from God. That's why we are all here this morning. We are all here this morning because it's about God. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about my relationship with God. I cannot have a proper relationship with God if I am separated from God. If I'm going to have a proper relationship, I need to be uh, in good communication with God in my prayer life. I need to do my best to not sin. God knows that we're not going to be perfect. God knows that. God does not expect perfection. What does God expect from us? What's that? Faithfulness. God wants us doing our very best every day. Every day. It's always easy to come to church and uh, to kind of put on the the jacket of being a Christian 
and, and we make good decisions and we pat each other on the bat and, you know, good job. The hard part is tomorrow morning when we wake up and we go to work, we go to school, we, we live our lives and we're surrounded by people in the world. That's the time when it's hard to stand up and take a stance for what's right. We need to walk in the light. As a Christian, I need to be faithful in all areas of my life. I do not want to be separated from God. Like we've talked about this past week in our gospel meeting, heaven is our goal. When we think about heaven, how wonderful and how amazing heaven will be. And we could have the opposite conversation about if we are separated from God eternally and how horrible hell will be. We do not want to go to hell. God has given us a choice. We have an opportunity to choose. Every person here in this room chooses. You can choose where you will spend eternity. I can't choose that for my wife. I can't choose that for my children. I can't choose that for anyone but myself. That's a choice that I make. Depending on how I live my life. We've talked a lot about heaven and the people who have passed on before us and seeing these people being reunited with these people in heaven. And uh, I forget which um, speaker it was, but talking about, you know, meeting the Apostle Paul and talking to Peter and seeing Jesus face to face and falling down before his feet and how wonderful and how amazing that will be. Sin is what can keep us from enjoying that. That's why this is a big deal. Okay, so again, we're trying not to rehash this too much because we have had this discussion before, but we understand that God is holy. God cannot be tempted, James 1.13. Uh, concerning God, the Apostle Paul wrote, "...who only hath immorality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see." 1 Timothy 6.16. Light represents good. God is good. We had a, de a devotional at our house last night, and one thing that I told my children is, is if there's a problem in your relationship with God, it's not on God. It's not God's fault. If there's an issue between me and God, it's on me. It's because I've turned my back or I've made a choice. God will always do His part. Always. The question is, are we doing our part? God is holy. God is not the author of sin. This is something that when we look in the, the world today, sometimes people want to, to try to make us think that God is the author of sin, that God causes bad things to happen. How could God cause that tornado to come through and do this damage? Or how could God cause that little girl to have cancer and pass away. That we want to blame God for things. God is not the author of sin. God is certainly allowed, He allows things to happen. He's put in uh, laws of science, and we understand, we can, we can research hurricanes and tornadoes and what causes those. Those things are not God. God does not cause those things. The example that we used the last time we talked was if, um, if a drunk driver kill somebody, and we say, well, well, God wanted that person in heaven. God took them too early. Did God cause that person to die? No. 
Sin caused that person to die. Because someone was drinking and driving, which is sin, and they hit that person. That's what caused that person to die. It was sin. Don't blame that on God. That's not God's fault. We need to understand that Satan is our enemy. Satan is our adversary. You think about when you go to war with another country. What is that? What are we doing when we go to war? We want to find out who is our enemy, what weapons do they have, what can be our strategy. There's, there's preparation, there's planning. We have to take the same approach when we face Satan. Satan wants to take us down. He wants to devour us as Christians. So what do I need to know? Who is Satan? How is he going to, to try to trip me up? How is he going to try to devour me? The example that I used in the high school class was, if we all turned on the news this morning in Cookville, and we saw that there was a vicious lion on the loose, vicious lion, and it was attacking people, and it had already caused several deaths, and, but they didn't know where it was. It could be anywhere in Cookville. And um, so when you left your house this morning, and you walked out to go to your car, what's the first thing on your mind? Where's the lion? There's a lion loose somewhere in Cookville, and it's attacking people. That's going to be on the forefront of my mind. Why do we look at sin differently? Why do we look at, at Satan differently? The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why is it that we want to see how close we can get to sin without actually sinning? Sometimes we want to flirt with sin. An example, uh, when I was growing up, the, the youth leader there at North Charleston, he used the example of a mousetrap. So he would take a mousetrap and he would take a ruler. And so what he would do, is he was talking about you know, how we, we like to you know, dance around and, and we'll see we want us how close we can get to sin without actually it going off. Why do we do that? Why do we want to entertain sin? Sometimes we, we think, well, you know, I can watch this TV show and, you know, yeah, that, that, that particular part's not great, but it's not a big deal. And well, we'll watch another show and it's a little bit worse, but still, it's okay. I can block that part out. We'll fast forward it through that part. We want to see how close we can get to sin without crossing the line. Remember, the whole class is about what is sin? Why is this such a big deal? Because it can separate us from God. We can't flirt with sin. We can't see how close we can get to the line without crossing it and still be safe with God. We're getting into that mentality where we have these boxes. And if I go to church on Sunday, well, I'm good. And if I check on somebody during the week, well, I'm good. Being a Christian is a way of life. This is who we are. Being a, being a faithful Christian who's righteous and walking in the light, there's nothing more wonderful. There's no better life. Satan is our enemy. Satan is looking to destroy us. In Genesis chapter 3, it tells us how sin first entered the world. After the creation of man and woman, God placed them in the Garden of Eden with a single restriction. What was that restriction? Okay, don't eat of the tree. Don't eat from that tree. What did Satan say? 
you will not surely die. Satan used one word, three letters, not, to change what Eve had already understood. Was the commandment that God gave Adam and Eve complicated? It was not. It was very straightforward. It was very clear. Do we today have clear instructions from God? Yes. A lot of times we want to make things more complicated than they really are. It's very clear. But what does Satan do? Satan used one word for Eve to get her to stumble. What do we do today? Satan wants to to trick us, to deceive us. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. It's not that big of a deal. You know, everybody's doing it. I mean, if you look around, I mean, come on. You only live once. Satan can make us justify things in our mind. Don't raise your hand. Don't say anything out loud. But have you ever justified sin? I think we could probably all say that we have, if we're being honest. Maybe it's somebody at work and they've been giving me a hard time and, and I finally just lash out at them and I let them have it. And, and then Satan is, well, they deserved it. You just put them in their place. That's what they needed. That's what they needed. Satan will make us think that sin is okay. Satan will make us think that sin is right sometimes. We cannot justify sin. Satan is our enemy. Again, he is a deceiver. He has a plan to deceive us. What does it mean to deceive? To trick? Yeah, absolutely. To trick, to deceive. Satan wants to deceive us. Satan has a way of making things that are wrong appear very good. You ever thought about that in your life? That I'm actually doing something that's wrong, but Satan will make me think that I'm doing it for the right reason, or or make me think that I'm doing something that's wrong and and I'm actually helping somebody else. Maybe it's it's I work. I work a lot. And um, I'm working so much that it's taking away from my, my spiritual walk with Christ. Maybe I don't have time for personal study. Maybe I don't have time to attend services like I'd like. But Satan says, well, you need the extra money. You've really been struggling lately. You know, work is a good thing. Satan can get into our head and he can make us think things that are not true. Again, in essence, justifying sin. We have to be careful. We have to recognize who Satan is and that he's always after us. Satan is the father of lies, John 8.44. And we are wise to see Satan for who he is and avoid him at all cost. Satan can't be our friend. He can't be our buddy. Satan is our enemy. If he's my enemy, I'm not going to hang out with him. We obviously know that we're not going to go out to lunch with Satan. But, but what I mean by that is that, um, you know, that TV show, that song, um, that situation. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. I don't want to be tempted by Satan. I think this is kind of where we ended class last time. And in this point, 
to me, this is one of the stronger points. And that is, is if we could see sin and see the consequences of sin at the time of temptation. Think with me here. So Adam and Eve, they sin. What happened because of Adam and Eve's sin? Okay, they were driven out of the garden. What else? They died. What else? What's the big one? Okay, they were ashamed. They brought sin into the world, right? Sin exists today because of Adam and Eve. If Adam and Eve, when they were tempted, if they could see all of the consequences as a result of their sin at the time that they were tempted, do you think they still would have gone through with it? I would hope not. Think about your own life. You ever gotten caught up in sin and you didn't realize that, that this particular sin was going to take you certain places? Sin will always take you farther than you intended to go. Sin will take you places that you never intended to go. It has this snowball effect. It's just a little white lie. And then what happens? Well, then that grows. We can never think about sin as just, it's not that big of a deal. Sin will cost us our soul. Sin will cost us to be eternally separated from God. So imagine in your own life, if you could see at the time of temptation, the results, the consequences of your sin. Would that not keep us from sinning? I would hope so. Let's talk about a few things that the devil wants us to believe. There are certain things the devil wants us to believe. One thing is the devil wants us to believe that happiness is unattainable without him. The devil wants you to believe that you cannot be happy. He wants us to be stressed. He wants us to be anxious. He wants us to think that life here on this earth, that we cannot have happiness unless we are serving him. That if we are on God's side... You know, if you're a faithful Christian, there's no happiness in that. Would you say that society teaches that same mindset? Yeah. You watch um, some of these reality TV shows, and what do they teach you? It is all about self, and it's about putting other people down, and it's about having the biggest and the best. And Can we be happy as a faithful child of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can have a clear conscience. I can go to bed at night. I can wake up in the morning. There's no better life than of a faithful child of God. How about if I am a member of the church, I'm a child of God, but I want to walk that line, and I want to live that lukewarm life. Is there any peace in that? There's not. There's not. Think about the child of God who obeyed the gospel, became a, a child of God, and then they turn their back and they go back into the world. How does the Bible describe that? Yeah. That's really graphic. A dog returning to its own vomit. You ever seen a dog do that? It's pretty disgusting. 
That's how God views this. I'm a child of God, and I get caught up in the world. I let sin into my life. It's like a dog returning to its vomit, its own vomit. It's disgusting to God. This is serious to God. We're going to talk about different lessons uh, whenever I get opportunity and I'm in this class. We're going to talk about uh, different aspects of sin and different things about sin. And um, this is a really important subject. Why? Because I want to go to heaven. That's the ultimate goal. You know, we're starting a new year. This is 2023. I thought about uh, teaching the class in a different way today and talking about goals, setting goals for 2023. You know, we set, um, I want to lose five pounds. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, whatever. I want to read books this year. And those things are good. But do we set spiritual goals? Do we set, I'd like to, uh, to have at least you know, one Bible study a month. I'd like to baptize at least three people this year. Do we set spiritual goals? Is my number one goal in life truly to go to heaven? And if it's not, then I need, I need to evaluate. I need to make some changes in my life. All right, second point. The thing that, 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 that Satan wants us to believe, the devil wants us to believe that God's word is not real. How does he go about trying to convince us that God's word is not real? He might use the old, you know, well, it's just your interpretation and everybody has different interpretation and it's not really real. You know, it's just a, it's a book written by men. What else might he say to convince us that God's word is not real? Yes, yes, yes. So he might find uh, people, PhD, you know, these specialists, these scientists, who say, well, you know, evolution can be proved. I remember going to the Dan Barker and Kyle Butt debate years ago in, in, Charles, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And afterwards, I went up to Dan Barker, who's the atheist, and I said, um, can something come from nothing? And he got really excited, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a vacuum, science has proven that, and I said, well, no, where'd the vacuum come from? Like, nothing. When I say, can something come from nothing, I mean no vacuum, no nothing. And at that point, his, his people with him were getting a little agitated and kind of shooed me away. But we have uh, scientists who will try to convince you and try to use fancy lingo to try to prove evolution. Absolutely, that would be a way that the devil is trying to prove that God's word isn't real. We see this every day, every day. Okay, another thing that the devil wants us to believe is that church isn't important. Does the world today teach this? Without a doubt. And we see this, it's becoming increasingly more popular. What are we doing as a nation in, in regards to God? Okay, more entertainment-based. As a whole, is our nation growing towards God or fleeing from God? We are fleeing from God, and we are fleeing from God swiftly. We're taking Him out of the equation. We're taking Him out of the school. We're taking Him out of the home. 
What do you think is going to happen when you take God out of the equation? Sin. Nothing good is going to happen when you take God out of the equation. You're going to see chaos. You're going to see turmoil. What are we seeing as a nation? Chaos and turmoil and sin. Sin is running rapid right now. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. We're, we're, we've talked about this in other classes before, but we are here right now in my lifetime, things that I never thought that I would ever see. We are promoting things. We are saying that things are good that are absolute sin. Who do you think's behind all of that? Satan? Can you imagine how happy Satan is right now? The things that are being taught, things that are being believed, the, the people nowadays who are being labeled as courageous and brave. Satan is loving this. So Satan wants us to think that church isn't important. What do you think Satan's perspective of the lukewarm Christian is? Okay, the same as a lost person. Do you think that, that Satan actually um, enjoys the fact that there's a person who obeyed the gospel, who knows right, but yet's not faithful to God? Do you think just deep down inside that he just he really loves that? I would think that he does. He's got somebody who knows better, but they just want to walk the line and they're not really faithful. They'll show up occasionally. They may act like a Christian, but they're not, really a, they're not really walking in the light. I think Satan enjoys that. A lukewarm Christian can't say that church is important. They can't say that their, their number one goal in life is to go to heaven. Number four, uh, the, the fourth thing that the devil wants us to believe, and that is the physical world is more important than the spiritual world. Again, you can turn on TV any, any source of social media, and you will see this, the world is teaching us it's all about the physical. Do what makes you happy. You can be whatever you want to be. I were, I've been the deacon over education at, at, at several congregations now. This will be the third time here at Willow. And I remember being at a, a congregation one time and a grandmother telling me, that her granddaughter was not at service on a Wednesday because she had schoolwork, school projects, schoolwork, something like that. And I remember thinking, what are you teaching her? What are you teaching her by telling her, yeah, you're fine, stay at home and finish your schoolwork? I'm not about, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against school, I'm not against learning. But when we teach our children that schoolwork is more important than spiritual learning, spiritual growth, Bible work, we're teaching them something. It may not be what we are intending to teach them, but we're teaching them something. This, this is where I get on my soapbox uh, about, you know, our Bible classes. And um, as parents, it's not the kids' fault. It's our fault. As parents, it's our fault. When I let my kids stay up really, really late on Saturday night, and they come in Sunday, and they're dragging, and they're sleepy, and they're, they're kind of fussy, that's on me as a parent. 
As a parent, I have to make decisions and choices for my children that they're not always going to like. We have to always put spiritual things first in their lives. When they go to Bible class, I want them to know that this is serious. I want you to learn something in Bible class. What did you learn today? What are your thoughts on that? Are you participating in Bible class? If a teacher gives them a verse, let's work on that at home. I want them to understand that any opportunity to grow spiritually, we need to take advantage of that. Again, and I'm not, I'm not discounting school. They need to do well in school. That's a good thing. But let's not make Bible class take a, a, a back seat to, uh, to their schoolwork. All right, I'm off the soapbox there. But the devil wants us to believe that the physical world is more important than the spiritual world. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can teach these things to our children. We can believe these things ourselves. Again, I'm not old in the scheme of things, but the older that I get, the more I realize that um, there is a day coming. There is a judgment day coming. There's a day coming when I'm going to stand before God. I don't know when that will be. It might be soon. It might be several years down the road, but there is a day coming. And the longer that I live, the more I realize that I've got to get things in order. I've got to get things ready. I don't have plenty of time. I think I've told you guys some examples of some of this. I've taught different classes, and I forget what I've said in each class, but we could all talk about countless examples of people who have have passed away early. Uh, I think maybe I've mentioned the, the young boy at the congregation that I attended years ago. Young, healthy boy. He was one of the elder sons. And uh, he was playing in the high school basketball game. After the game was over, he goes into the locker room and he collapses. He's on the floor. And uh, they, they rush him to the hospital. And before they can get him to the hospital, he, he was dead. Good kid. No obvious outside symptoms. But do you think that boy woke up that, that morning and thought, yep, this will be my last day on earth? Do you think his parents woke up that morning and thought, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be burying our son soon? No, absolutely not. But yet we do that every day. You know, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up like I've done for many, many years. And tomorrow's going to be just as great as it is today, and I'm going to have the same health that I have today. There is a day coming. All right, um, let's go ahead and go into this, the second one here. So that is, is, we talked about what is sin, and why sin, why, why having this discussion is important. The second one here is, how does God view sin? How does God view sin? And then we're going to talk a little bit on how we view sin. We talked about what it is. How do you think God views sin? He hates it. Yes. That's a great word to describe it. You know, Proverbs chapter 6, it tells us about specific things that God hates. If the Bible tells us that there are things that God hates, should that get our attention? Yeah. You know, if I dislike something... That's not that big of a deal. I dislike this, this color or whatever it is, or I dislike broccoli or whatever. 
But for God to say that he hates something, that's really significant. God hates sin. We talked earlier about the child of God who falls away, falls back into the world, and how God views that as a dog returning to its own vomit. It's disgusting. It sickens God. God hates sin. Why do you think it is, is that why do you think God hates sin? Because God's holy. Yes. If if God is holy and sin is the transgression of God's law, yes, that's offensive. That's sickening to God. God hates sin because it cost him his son. Imagine if sin, imagine if something cost you one of your loved ones. Does that get your attention? God had to send his son to this earth not to be treated like royalty, not to be treated like a king. Not to live this glamorous life. What do you think it was like from God's perspective to see Jesus come to this earth and see how he was treated? You ever seen one of your your kids treated in a harsh manner? We don't like that as parents. We don't like to see our kids picked on. We don't like to see our kids not fit in. What do you think it was like from God's perspective? You see Jesus come to this earth and you see people, these soldiers in particular, spitting in the face of Jesus, spitting in the face of his son, knowing that as God, he could have stopped us at any time. God had the power to do something about this, but he didn't. As a parent, if you saw somebody spit in your child's face, what's your initial instinct? That's going to fire you up. But it doesn't stop there. God sees these soldiers blindfold Jesus, and they slap him. And they say, if you're the Son of God, which one of us slapped you? Again, you're watching this from God's perspective. What's that like? Watching your son being treated this way, and he had no sin. But it didn't end there. You think about the crown of thorns placed on Jesus' head. Do you think the soldiers, they make this crown of thorns and and they kind of gently place it on Jesus' head? No, I I think that you can kind of visualize them with with sticks. And uh, they kind of place it up there and they take these sticks and they kind of shove it down on his head to cause as much pain as they possibly can. And God's watching this happen. God could have stopped this. But it doesn't end there. You think about the scourging of Jesus. You think about Jesus being in so much pain. Uh, You know, historians would tell that when people were scourged, sometimes they would bite their tongue in two because of the intense pain. And God's watching this. How hard it must be. And and again, why did all of this happen? 
Because of sin. That's why this is a big deal. That's why we're studying this. And it's not because of Jesus' sin, it's because of me. Because of the decisions and the choices that I make, Jesus endured these things. And God watched these things happen because of me. Okay, we're going to stop there. I appreciate uh, everybody's attention.